Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Geek Warning Podcast from the Escape Collective, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know this week in the world of bicycle tech. We've got an especially spicy episode for you today, and thankfully, we've got our full crew on hand to tackle it. Uh, I'm James Huang here in Boulder, Colorado. Over in Sydney, Australia is senior tech editor and resident tool fanatic Dave Rome. Hi, Dave. Hello, James. Uh, and normally, I'd say up in Ireland, but Ronan, you're actually over in Girona, Spain at the moment. You are our... Uh, I think we're going to we're just going to call you our chief optimization officer, our COO. How does that sound? COO usually refers to someone with a high pay packet. So if that's going to reflect uh, my pay, I'm happy to go with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That sounds excellent. How, how's everybody doing today? Good. Good. That was you're very at, convincing. At, <laughs> <laughs> the two of you are two opposite ends of the hair length spectrum right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronan Ronan gave himself too much of a haircut and I I just need one. So (laughs) (laughs) together we have average length hair. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Dave, uh, for people who do not follow you on Instagram for whatever crazy reason, uh, Mm. talk to me about high precision Allen wrenches for his small little hex head bolts. Well, I think that's something we covered in a in a recent podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, there's now a post explaining it. So yeah, it's uh, the RC uh, remote control uh, cars and plane world offers some incredibly high uh, highly precise tools, and uh, I, I found myself down that rabbit hole. And uh, yeah, you can you can listen back to a few episodes ago where we did discuss it. It was on my mind, but uh, otherwise, yeah, my Instagram page has also got the answers. Dave, you've got a very a bunch of very expensive rabbit holes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Thankfully, I don't need to eat too often. Mm. Well, thankfully, you're our, <laughs> our CTO, our chief tools officer with a, sim- with a similarly high salary to go along with that heady, oh, that sounds great. With that heady title. Yeah, there oh, you go. Wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to figure out to see something. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure out to see something O title for me. Uh, mm. Ronan, as I mentioned, you are in Girona. What do you, can we can we talk about what you're doing there and you know what you're seeing there that you may be able to see or talk about or write about soon? I actually don't think I can. Oh <laughs> I'm, wow! Okay, I'm, clothing is probably as far as I can go. Um, some, some something clothing related, something bicycling related. Uh, bicycle clothing related. Okay, okay, we'll um, just leave it at that. Yeah, that's about. I don't. I, I hate doing this teasing, but I like. Yeah, I'm sworn to secrecy right now. As soon as I can, mm-hmm. okay. I will tell all. I mean, Ro- Ronan is right now in a dark box. I actually can't see his face because all the lights are <laughs> off. So he's in some sort of some sort some sort of quarantine situation. I'm here. here. I'm here. I promise. I'm here. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, we've got a hot topic to talk about today. Uh, we've mentioned on several previous past episodes now that we really need to dig into the various kind of issues and concerns, I guess you could say, regarding hookless road tubeless wheels and tires. And well, uh, today is that day. Uh, Ronan, can you set the stage here? Why are we talking about this now? Uh, we're talking about this now specifically because it's become an, an increasing issue this, this year, let's say. Uh, and that is to do with tubeless straight sidewall which a lot of us will know as hookless and the specific tires for those hookless rims effectively blowing off the rims. And there's been several examples of that happening this year. Um, and, and, and to be clear, this is actually hookless specific tires blowing off hookless rims. So it's not like a, it's not using a standard tube type or 
um, hookless crochet type tire. It's a tire that is designed for hookless rim blowing off hookless rims. Um, and one of the primary reasons that potentially one of the primary reasons that I've identified for it is that the update to the ISO standards last year that effectively said you cannot mount anything smaller than a 29 mil stated width tire on a 25 millimeter wide internal rim has been ignored in some cases and teams have mounted 28 mil tires on these rims and we believe that's been causing part of the issue. All right, let, let's back up just a little bit here because you did just write a very detailed, very well-written article uh, up on escapecollective.com that everyone should check out if they haven't already. Um, and Judging by the comments, I guess there was one specific... pretty much everybody on the planet has checked it out. <laughs> There's been that many of them. <laughs> yeah, true. true. Um, but you were talking about, I guess, one specific incident recently really kind of raised the red flag for you, right? Uh, it didn't, it didn't. It, this is something I had been looking into previously, but last Friday, Thomas DeGent had a very nasty looking crash. Lucky not to come away with serious injuries or, you know, especially lucky when you've seen the way he crashed, a concussion was kind of the first thing you thought of. He passed concussion testing and, and finished the stage with the help of his compadres at uh, Sudal Quickstep, who had given him a, a different front wheel because Thomas DeGent's team car happened to be ahead of him in the race servicing the breakaway and it's important to clarify that because there's been a lot of question marks since well how did they end up on a zip rear wheel and a roval front wheel and that was effectively how but what happened to him was well what happened in the aftermath was that his bike was laying against a, a, a roadside barrier the front tire had you know completely blown off the rim on one side the drive side the foam liner that he had within that tire was also uh, blown off the rim it seemed to be snapped so like in, in, instead of being one circular foam liner it seemed to be snapped into it's unclear if that was like cut before it was put into the tire to help with inserting or if it was broken because of the crash that's unclear um, but what did become clear was through confirmation with the team we now know that he was running a 28 mil tire stated on the sidewall 28 that's not how it would have measured but that's how it was stated on the on the sidewall of the tire it's a 28 millimeter and he was riding zip 353 nsw rims which have on the front a 25 millimeter internal rim width uh and getting back to what i was saying earlier about you know that mismatch in terms of what the aso standards say 20 you cannot have a 28 mil tire on a 25 mil internal rim now zips compatibility chart says that you can but they sort of predate the ISO standards. And that's kind of where a lot of confusion has come from. What we don't know, uh, and and sort of this is what I had been looking into prior to the Gens accident, was we don't know what pressure he had in them. We don't know for sure if he hit something or not. He seemed to think that he had hit something, and he was asking on Twitter, did anybody see what I hit? Um, we, you know, we don't know, was there some other factors at play, but what we do know and what the point of that article was, is that by the new ISO standards, his rim and tire technically are not what they recommend, are not compatible. Dave, were you going to add something? Uh, I was just, uh, I was going to say, we also don't know the conditions of installation, like whether perhaps, you know, whether maybe the mechanic was using tire levers and, and damaged the bead in the process uh, mm-hmm. with that tire liner in place. So, I mean, there are there are some certain unknowns here, but 
regardless, it's it's not a, a one-off incident that we're talking about. We've we've seen other blow-offs yeah. of related uh, wheel and tire combos this season, and yeah, I mean it, it's it's just flat out terrifying. The the other examples that I have seen, it's it's worth noting that the other examples I have seen, although not confirmed by the team, are seemingly also running twenty-eight mil stated width tires on twenty-five millimeter internal rim width wheels and that's important because while i'm i wouldn't classify myself as a hookless fan i'm hookless skeptic i'll say i i do think that hookless will eventually take over i think probably the reason for that is much like disc brakes and that all the advantages aren't necessarily in the braking there was a heck of a lot of opportunities that came from disc braking that probably forced through disc brakes and i think hookless will go the same way that there's probably other opportunities that maybe we know about, maybe we don't know about, but either way, I, I do think 15 years from now, hookless will either have entirely disappeared or will be entirely dominant in terms of a tubeless system. Um, and the, yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, from those other examples I've seen, the point of my article was trying to raise awareness that according to the new ISO standards, you should not be mounting 28 mil tires on these rims and that. With that in mind, perhaps we need to rethink how we purchase and what type of tires we're looking for when it, and what width of tires we're looking for when it comes to our hookless rims. Right. So we, we've got quite a bit to unpack here. So just to recap, so we know what wheels he was running. We know what tire size and tire model and everything he was running. We know he was running a, I think it was a Vittoria Corsa Pro, I think. It was a Vittoria Corsa of some variety, 28 mil printed size. Uh, we know he was running a Vittoria foam uh, road tire liner. Uh, again, we don't know what tire pressure he was running. We don't know the conditions of the insulation. We don't know if he actually hit something. So either way. We know he had um, sealant also because there was sealant everywhere. We, yes, there yeah. was sealant uh, everywhere. That sounds like a joke, but it actually is important also. He did have sealant in the, in the system. Yeah, yeah, be, because we have heard of teams sort of just like painting the inside of the tires with with sealant just to run it like as absolutely light as possible. Um, so yes, he, he definitely was running sealant or some sort of white milky substance in there anyway. Um, all right. So either way, either way, uh, I guess the reason why this is concerning is because, uh, I mean, we certainly have seen back in the day tubulars come off rims, that sort of thing, but not usually just kind of rolling in a straight line. Um, and while this particular tire and wheel setup was technically incompatible, it's worth knowing that it was only technically incompatible by one millimeter as far as the stated size. Um, so the new ISO standards say that for a 25 mil internal rim, you have to be running at least a 29 mil stated size tire. Um, anyway, so pretty, pretty dramatic ending to this thing here. Um, so either way, we, we have some potential issues that we've kind of alluded to a bunch in the past, but, um, one big problem seems to be that we don't really know the motivations for why the team was running this particular combo. And as you noted, Ronan, this is, this is not particularly unusual to see teams running a 25 mil internal with rim with a 28 mil tire. Um, and if we're looking at it from the from a team perspective, the, the fact that this is supposed to be an area where the teams and the mechanics should, in theory, know, I guess, kind of best what is what should be safe and what isn't safe. The fact that this is happening seems pretty clear that it maybe is not as safe as it's maybe billed to be or something's going on here. I, I think we can assume the the factors that are causing teams to use this combination, which is the it's next faster. 
Well, no, it's well, yes, but it's it's what's available through sponsors, right? So if they're sponsored by Zip, they only have access to the let's say the four five four, which is I believe a little bit narrower. Or if they want the lightest weight wheel, they've got the three five three, which is that twenty five mil internal width. And then at that point, they've got through their tire sponsor, they've got twenty eight, or the next step up is thirty. And on that rim, that twenty eight is probably already measuring. 31 actual width is my assumption. You get a 30 mil tire on that. You're then running, there's, there's a, racing a there's road actually race. A formula, there's actually a formula for working that out. And while I haven't measured the system, the formula would suggest that that 28 would have measured 30.4, which is okay. 2.4 yeah. millimeters so, larger than stated width. Sure. Sure. So, and then, yeah, the next size up in tire is going to be closer to in the 32 range, which is getting pretty big for a general road race and probably bigger than the pros want to be on. So I think this is partly like, sponsor restrictions that are probably forcing teams to want to err on the side of narrower to what they actually have access to and and therefore they're creating this this combo that's not recommended yeah and to your point james about the mechanics i could like it's worth noting also because we do we do lament the uca often enough we should also give credit where it's due in december they clearly reminded teams no Granted, it was World Tour teams, and a lot of them are not currently a World Tour team, but they reminded World Tour teams, who have also had failures this year, that you need to be in keeping with ISO standards when it comes to tire width and inner rim width. And from what I understand also, not all the mechanics are entirely up to scratch or up to date on their you know, ISO standards and tire width and rim width combinations. And, you know, it's probably unrealistic to expect that they should be, um, you know, not, they're not, yeah, they're, that's, that they're probably not paid enough to be keeping up with ISO standards. Let's put it that way. Um, well, I, I, I think you could, you could probably, I, I guess you could make that argument, but at the same time, you know, like I know the three of us are pretty familiar with what that chart says, but, if we think about it, I mean, how many teams are there really? How many mechanics are there really? What does it really take to send a single communication out with just that one chart that says, hey, these are the internal rim widths and these are the tires that you can run with that. End of story. I I, I don't know if communications with the gap were sent, um, but I I know when these types of conversations have ha- happened in the past that it's sort of a, it's not taken as seriously as it should be. You know, I think there's, I think there are examples where you know, the, it's like it's like the max torque in this thing is four newton meters, and make sure you prep your torque wrench and only click it once, and then you watch the pro mechanic do it, and they'll have gone to five newton meters and done it four times, and it's like mm. that, that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but I also think like you got to the mechanics often just follow team orders, right? From the the team uh, technical directors or even from riders, and if. If the riders are being like, you, we're not racing every road race this season on Paris Roubaix tire widths, right? Like that's you know that's the Roubaix setup that they used to, and they're like, that's way too big. We don't want to be on that. End of the day, they're probably going to try skirt the rules in order to please the riders. And and that's I think where the problem originates because if if you were Thomas De Gent riding yeah. that stage in UAE last weekend, and you looked at the stage, perfectly smooth surface, some of the best tarmac roads you're going to ride on all year and you went on and you picked any of the online calculators and you put in your weight you put in your system weight you put in your tire width it probably would have told them 80 85 psi something like that for the speeds that they're traveling at it probably would have been a lot higher than the 72 psi limit 
for a 28 mil hookless tire and you know we don't we don't know what happened but it's highly plausible that they were the tires may have been overinflated or even if they were right at the 72 and a half psi limit that's let's give the benefit of the doubt for a second but they were right at the ps the the limit and he did happen to hit something and then this tire width and inner rim width weren't matched the way they should be you know it's very plausible that that spike in pressure from hitting something on the road could have caused the tire to blow off in that instance also so you know he Everything, and again, comes back to the point of this article, was everything could have been done right. Could have been right on the limit. And he had the misfortune of hitting something that exposed the the, the weakness in the combination he was running at that split second. Right, because the, I guess the crux of the issue here is that this shouldn't have happened at all. Because I think I think the, the, the big thing that stands out for me is that let's say, okay, yes, we, we know that it was a combination that was not approved, Let's just make the assumption he was running a little bit too much pressure. Um, but the the issue for me, you know, I do run road tubeless hookless on occasion. Uh, I mean, we've certainly heard from plenty of people who say like, oh, they've had no problems with it, so on and so forth. Um, but the issue that I ha- that has always stuck out for me is just how narrow the safety margin is yep. for how quickly things can go wrong. So just to recap, the way the the way the 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 guidelines are written, the maximum allowable tire pressure is, I think it's usually what, 72 and a half PSI? Is that, is that what yeah. you said? It um, is 72 and a half PSI, but as your tire width increases, that maximum pressure drops. Right. Like that's that's the highest it'll ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but the other thing is the safety margin is only 10%. So the way it's like the the the, the test, my, by my understanding, the test is stated such that that combination in order for it to be approved has to withstand a pressure that's 10% above that rating. Um, 10% above that rating is not very high. That's a pretty small safety margin. Yep. Especially when you consider that. Well, it's seven PSA if you're at the limit. Yeah. And I can tell you in testing quite a lot of floor pumps over the years with a lab verified gauge, a lot of floor pumps brand new measure outside of that 10% variance in terms of the gauge accuracy. And then add some age to that gauge, add some tire sealant into it, you're way off that. You're way outside that 10%. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's the fundamental issue here is that we're talking about a consumer-level product that even if the consumer thinks they're doing everything right, even if they're, they've researched and found the, an appropriate tire, they've matched the right width, these are all big assumptions to begin with then even still their their pump gauge could lead them astray. And at that point, the safety margin, you go over that safety margin. We're not talking about like a tire that deflates itself. We're talking about a tire that explodes. Let me let me just back up just a little bit, just to, to be perfectly clear. I mean, as much as we all have some misgivings and concerns about hookless for the road, I don't think that the concept in and of itself is inherently flawed because, I mean, as as hookless brands and hookless proponents will point out, and I guess rightfully so, pretty much every wheeled vehicle on the planet uses a hookless rim. Um, but the issue for me here is that there are there are so many so many more particulars about bicycle wheels and tires, in particular, kind of like high performance road stuff that. You know, I, I can't think of any anything else where the requirements are so uh, almost over the top as far as 
you know what we're expecting with a, what, to, what we're expecting of a wheel and tire system on a bicycle. Like we want it to be, you know, lightweight. We want it to be reasonably priced. We want we want it to be able to be installed by hand and removed by hand. We want it to be able to be inflated with a with a floor pump. We want it to be, you know, puncture resistant and so on and so forth. Like we want it to do all these things, but we also need it to be safe, right? Um, like if I go to have a car tire installed, I'm not doing that at home. Um, like if I, you know, I have a bunch of buddies who ride motorcycles, they can change their tires, but they have a big jig to do that. Um, they can kind of do it out on the trail if they have to, but it's a it's an effort. pretty, it's, it's an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing for me is just like the level of education that's clearly been required with the transition to hookless, because we still hear all the time now, you know, hookless has been around for, I don't know, several years now, uh, but there's still so much confusion as far as what kind of tires you're supposed to be using, what kind of pressures you're supposed to be running, that sort of thing. Like you st- we still hear all the time about people running, you know, oh, I can run 25, 25 mil rims with 28 mil tires and pump them up to 100, 100 PSI. Dear God, please don't do that. Um, so it almost seems like it's a question to me of just the industry almost moving a little too fast and not waiting for things to kind of catch up a little bit. Yeah, I also think we're talking about a somewhat fringe case here. Like hookless off-road makes perfect sense where tires are wider, pressures are lower. Mountain bike, gravel, zero problems there. In consumer road, hookless also makes sense when you're talking about people running 32 mil tire widths and their body weight is within the realms of what hookless was hookless road was intended for. Uh and they're say running 50, 60 psi, so they're nowhere near that that seventy two psi limit. But then when you get to the performance end of of road, where there are still pressure calculators that are suggesting that you run above seventy ish psi, and you're ideally better suited to narrow narrower tire widths. Uh, for me, the tech just doesn't make sense yet, or maybe it never will, uh, and it's being pushed into the world tour. And I just think that yeah, that's it's not an appropriate tech when we're we're flying that close to the sun on these things. I mean, I do wonder if we're going to see continued advancements on the tire side that might at some point allow a combination like that, but it doesn't seem like we're there yet. Because mm-hmm. just generally speaking, if you look at like a cross section of a tire of that size and a rim of that size, yeah. there's just not that much holding the tire no. on there, really. No. Um, but I mean, I guess coming back to my point, so, and like you were saying, Dave, I mean, in, when everything is correct, when you're kind of within, kind of like well within the safety margin, I guess, Mm -hmm. it seems to be fine. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't even say it seems to be fine. I'd say it, it is fine, right? Like on, on gravel, if you're running 30 PSI on a, on a hookless wheel, I mean, you don't, don't mm, see. We're we're getting, we're getting cringe face from Ronan. You're adding caveats, Dave. Okay. You're adding caveats. <laughs> All right. I I will say, I, I I I want to come back to add to your list of the requirements that we expect of a of a road tire. But before I do so, I will say that one of my hesitations about hookless now is that, from what I understand, and I haven't experienced this myself, but from what I understand, we don't even have a way to identify if a rim that we're looking at is within the exact requirements and the exact spec needed to retain a hookless tire perfectly. And one of the issues there is that the tire, the rim might actually, from what I understand, measure perfectly, but in service, under pressure from an inflated tire, 
some rims may actually flex to a point where the tire that can actually aid the tire in blowing off now i'm Shrink, yeah. pretty confident in saying that's not what happened with the gant because i think i think zip rims are, are not you're not going to experience that with zip rims i'm, I'm pretty confident well, in saying that and, and as dave has noted they've gotten heavier yes and and we don't know if that's related or not but i mean you could put two and two together and get four you could put two and two together and get five there but either either way that that's one of the concerns i have about hookless right now and that's why i said in my article that i would continue to ride hookless rims from reputable manufacturers and what is reputable is probably subjective that's very difficult to answer here um but going back to your point david or james about what we expect of road tires you, you have to also add into the mix that end users expect to be able to and probably rightly so walk into a bike shop and say i want x tire and i want to be able to run it whatever pressure i want and i want to be able to run it on the rims that i have and i think that's pretty important to to remember also because you know what i've what i learned and, and i've been sort of researching this hookless topic for about a, a month or so now i haven't been aware of it for years but really delving into it for the past month or so that the the 25 and the 28 mil tires we run mostly on the road are designed around a 19 millimeter rim and so while they might work up to 23 and with the 23 millimeter internal rim they're they're up to something well i, I don't like to have the figures to hand right now but let's say it's 29 and a half or something they're just right, under you're, you're referring mil. you're referring to the design rim width yeah yeah whereas when you go up to 25 you're getting that increase again uh, and there is a very strict limit in terms of it's like plus or minus two millimeters that a 28 mil tire must measure under 30 and above 26 uh, and and part of what I wrote in the article that was also missed was that if you go for an older, extremely narrow rim, you're going to end up on the too small side of what a 28 mil tire should should measure. Which I ran into with a rim last week. It was right on the limit. A 28 should be plus or minus two millimeters. This 28 tire on a 18 and a half mil internal rim was 26, which is bang on the lower limit. Now it wasn't a hookless setup, but still, I'm like my teeth are my responsibility. Uh, and <laughs> I, I don't need to be taking those risks. The point I'm trying to get to is that there are standards, regardless of the type of tire or the tubeless system we're running, there are standards that do exist and we need to adhere to them. And the standards are not a target. 72.5 PSI is not a target. It's a limit. And a 29 mil tire on a 25 internal rim is not a target. It's, a, it's an upper limit. And my rule of thumb going forward will be minimum 30 potentially minimum 32 millimeter tire on a 25 internal rim and i'm going to aim for like mid 50s or 60 psa like as i said they're they're limits not targets well and again i guess the reason why it's probably smart for you to have that attitude is again because the safety margins are so small i think yeah i think all three of us are used to and, and i think this is kind of inherent to enthusiast cyclists in general anyone who likes to tinker with their gear like people are used to having a certain degree of freedom with being able to kind of mix and match and play with stuff and kind of like push the limits a little bit. And typically when you push the limits and you push the limits a little bit too far, stuff maybe just doesn't work all that great. Like your shifting is maybe not all a grade, like something just like doesn't handle right or whatever. We're not generally used to having it be like a safety problem when you push the limit a little bit too far. Like, you know, in particular tire blowing off. I mean, you know, Dave, I know you and I have both experienced this like in the early days of tubeless mountain bike when, you know, certainly well before there were any sort of real standards with, or at least any standards that anyone adhered to anyway. 
before there were any real standards there with regard to tires and rims and stuff. I mean, we saw tire blowoffs all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, because people were running you know, like super lightweight tires that weren't designed for tubeless and like, you know, running these kind of jerry-rigged rim setups. And like, we just saw all sorts of crazy stuff. And thankfully, yeah. you know, most of the time when those tires blew off, it didn't result in a super terrible crash because generally speaking, crashes off-road are not as bad as when you're on the road. Yeah. But um, point being, we do have this technically accepted standard on the road with respect to hookless. And yet there still is an issue to my eye, mainly because the margins are so small. I would love to see those margins expanded. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen because I mean, just the, the glacial pace that ISO or ETRTO standards change, but that would be my but is, is it even Is it even possible? Like, is it just that the, you know, because we're relying on like a I've, I think friction, it's possible. basically. No, but I mean, I, I, I do think it's possible and I don't think it's necessarily friction because the thing is when everything is set up properly, essentially what you are dealing with is you are relying on the tire bead to not stretch beyond a certain point under pressure. Um, so if you have that set up and, you know, if you if the tire bead is shaped in a way that, you know, properly seals up against the side of the, the, the rim and that sort of thing, um, all those things being what they're supposed to be, that that tire should not come off. But the issue, again, if you are, if you have such a narrow safety margin, you could very well have a tire that is, that passes those standards, that does everything it's supposed to do based on how things are written. And it could still be a problem if, again, you know, you have a tire, you have a pressure gauge that isn't quite dead on, or you're trying to push things just a little bit too much or whatever. To me, it just seems like the safety margins are too narrow. There's too much education required. Yeah. Um, there's just too much confusion in the marketplace for, from consumers. I just keep returning to the fact that I just think 25 mil internal width hookless wheels are dumb for pure road purposes. I think, again, it should be sold as a gravel product or an all road product. But where as soon as you're talking about the general consumer wanting to run smaller than a 32 millimeter tire width on this rim, and you're talking about flying that close to the sun at, at, speeds that could be deadly i just think this is a very irresponsible uh, category of product and i'm not singling out any brands here because there's quite a few brands that are doing this at the moment but i just think yeah it's it's just incredibly foolish and i think if you were to look at like the aeronautical industry and say you know uh aircraft right if we were to load the aircraft with 300 customers and the the seating capacity is 300 at that point there's a you know if, if there's too much luggage, the plane might fall out of the sky you know, within 10%. Not a single person is going to get on that plane. Uh, I think, yeah, it's it just comes back to the fact that I just, yeah, I, I just don't agree with us playing, basically with playing with fire with, with uh, having such a small margin of error on this. And I think, yeah, if you look back, like brands like Kadex, they used to test their tires to 2x, the the pressure rating from from memory i think it was like you know if it, if it said 72 psi max they'll roughly testing it at about 140 ish and if that combo failed it didn't meet their standards i think that's what everyone in the industry should be doing and i think that's what the iso should require and i think that's that's where we should be i 100% agree but i will also say that that comes back to our expectations on tires and if we weren't looking to run 28 mil tires with these rims on the road, if we were mm. happy to run 32s, 
I don't think the issue would exist. And if we weren't looking to exceed 72 PSA, either, you know, for whatever reason we want to exceed it, if we weren't looking to exceed it, I don't think the issue would exist either. So I, 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 I keep coming back to that, you know, if, as I said in the article, if the answer that you're looking for in terms of tire performance is a 28 mil tire, the answer that you're not looking for with a wheel is a 25 millimeter internal rim. And if yeah. you choose yeah, one or the fair. other, you can't choose the other, is, is yeah. the so point that I made. Do we think this is kind of the result, I guess almost predictable result, you could say, of the industry or teams, riders, consumers, whatever? Um, do you think this is potentially the result of some element of the bicycle world? pushing too hard for performance gains because that's ultimately why people are trying to run this combo probably, right? Well, I mean, Dave, as you mentioned, it is potentially a you know result of sponsorship restrictions and that sort of thing. But again, like, you know, Zip and whoever else, the reason why they have 25 mil internal tubeless straight side road wheels is because they are saying there is a performance advantage, right? Like, are we trying to push things too far? Well, I mean, like this, if we were being cynical, we would say it's not actually that it's, it's a cost saving measure which arguably it is also, um, well, not I'm arguably, so it not is also running. I'm totally not cynical. <laughs> it is Never. also a cost saving measure for the manufacturers. Um, and the cynical amongst us may say that the performance gains are uh, secondary and sort of a, a marketing method for the, the, the tubeless or the hookless system. But I'll come back to what I said at the start. I think hookless will take over in 15 years time again later have disappeared because i don't know the uci will have stepped in and banned it or god forbid something actually dreadful will have happened that will just cause a wake-up call that will mean okay there may be performance gains here there may be financial gains here but it's not worth it we're going back to hooks um or the other is that there are and bear with me here I, I'm, I'm not saying i'm chasing these or i'm not saying we should be chasing these but there are potentially aerodynamic gains I think there are definitely de gains in terms of ride feel and grip. And I think there are potentially gains in terms of decreased rolling resistance. And if those four things, you know, if, if we want to keep chasing those, I'd, that's another reason why I think hookless will prevail. But I mean, no good going fast if you're hitting the deck when your tire comes off. Well, that just makes hitting the deck worse. Faster. Right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, this is definitely not a topic that we are going to put to bed today. I, I'm pretty sure that this is something that we are going to be continuing to talk about in the future moving forward because, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure this is maybe closer to the beginning of the discussion, not the end of it. Uh, Ronan, let's let's update your, your title. You will be our chief optimization and maybe also safety officer. Officer, I'm not really sure what the acronym for that would be now. I lost track of the letters. <laughs> Firewood. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> either, either way, Ronan, it is quite late for you. We've pulled you away because you are on site at an event right now. So we're going to let you go back to doing your thing. I'm going, I'm going to bed, to be honest with you. So. Uh, I'm very, I'm quite envious of you actually, because it's um, a quarter to 3 p.m. my time here in Colorado. And I actually would like to go to bed myself. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go and dream about TSS and um, 622s and 28s and 30s and 25s and ARWs and just wait. Did I say just dream? I meant to say nightmare. So I'm, and go, oh no, it wasn't a dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ronan, we'll have you back on another episode soon. Go, go do your thing off to bed. Adios. Ciao.
All right, let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back for the rest of the show. Everyone, whether you were a bike shop owner or a sandwich shop, your first reaction was, holy smokes, I'm going to have to close my business. In the weeks leading up to COVID closures, we actually had a dumpster catch fire inside of our primary warehouse. Either every existing bicycle owner has to buy another one in the next five years, or the entire third world has to walk into the playing field and start buying high-end bicycles. All right, what you heard right there was just a snippet of a series of industry podcasts from Escape Collective founder Wade Wallace that he recently recorded that looked into the current post-COVID bust phase that the bike industry finds itself in right now, kind of how bad it is really right now, how we got here, and kind of where things go at this point. Uh, if you want more from that episode or from the, the series of four episodes, actually, and I think you definitely should because they're really good to listen to, Head over to your favorite podcast app, search for Escape Collective, and then scroll down to Overnight Success to hear those episodes in full. All right, back to Geek Warning. Dave, what you got on your mind this week? On my mind is one very nice looking bike from uh, from Baum out of uh, Victoria in Australia. And yeah, he's uh, the Solaris and he's basically obsessively been working away at hiding cables on his bikes and he's he's sort of had some pretty strong thoughts over the years that i've spoken to him at at the various handmade shows about why he wasn't offering uh internal cabled bikes and last year he teased uh showed me in a in a back room he showed me uh a, a prototype that he was working on and yeah he's he's now come out with it and basically the the idea is is to offer a, a classically styled bike without an oversized head tube so it's it's a t regular tapered head tube it's running a regular chris king headset it's running a regular stem it's running a regular handlebar uh but yeah there's just no hoses to be seen and basically how he's done it is uh the hoses run through the through the stem and then the steer tube which is actually just a, a regular off-the-shelf envy fork is customized uh with like a slot down the front face of it at the top of the steerer that's then reinforced with a custom 3d printed titanium insert that uh is bonded in place so that gives like structural uh reinforcement to the to the slotted steerer and and also guides those hoses uh and then there's some secret little exit holes as well for the front and rear brake hose uh very very clean looking uh it's also a design idea that a few others have stumbled around uh woods bicycle co another australian group they they showed a bike at the handmade show last year with kind of a similar idea uh and stelbel is another one that uh actually came out with such a thing in i think it was 2022 they they also had slotted a steerer tube different to how Baum's done it but similar concept in that you're you've got a little slot in the front of the steerer tube to accept the hoses into the steerer so yeah that's that's kind of on my mind and and what mostly is on my mind with it is uh that the safety factor here is not one to mess with uh and speaking with darren baum on this they they broke a lot of forks getting to this design uh and yeah i mean he's he's had you know he's good friends with raul lucia the the carbon expert and you know, Rawls definitely had his his uh, hands on this project and and has helped with the testing of it. But I would say uh, it worries me on the idea that some may copy this without quite understanding how how dangerous this could be. I've got a round file in my in my hand, Dave. I can do this at home, right? And you got lots of bikes in the background. Start start testing. 
So all I have to do is slot the steer tube, right? Pretty Did much. Go? Yeah, just a file. Um, okay, good. Yeah, just uh, noted. Maybe a sawzill if you if you're time poor. <laughs> so, D- Dave, is this a good idea? I think it looks super clean, and I absolutely love how this bomb looks. I think it's one of the nicest looking metal bikes on the market, uh, and I trust that Darren and his team have created a product that actually is safe. Uh, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot to love here, but yeah, my worry is more that others adopting this style or copying this style without fully understanding just how precise you need to be with these modifications and that uh, normally drilling holes into steerer tubes may not be the safest thing unless you have broken a lot of forks to understand how to do it. And made a custom 3D printed titanium plug to go in there to reinforce the whole thing. Yep, yep. So... Yeah, I think that's that's on my mind is that there's a lot of pretty bikes out there, but I think uh, I just encourage brands that if they're wanting to go this way to please, please run this through ISO testing, do drop tests on your products and be confident that this is uh, a safe way to go before uh, committing to the aesthetic advantage. Are we basically accepting at this point that fully hidden cable routing is just sort of how things are now pretty much is, is this is it done like this seems I, like a done deal i think it's a done deal i think the the fight against it still can be can be had off-road i think we're seeing some brands that uh you would assume would go internal or have in in fact gone internal on some bikes are uh, understanding the market forces are saying no and i think uh there's still hope on in that space and i think uh, like looking behind me, I've got a Santa Cruz Stigmata gravel bike on test and, you know, that's external of the the headset. And I think I encourage consumers to actively uh, decide with their wallets on these things. Like if you just were to stop buying gravel bikes that had internal cable routing, uh, I think we'd see a, a reversal of it. Uh, but I think the road market is a done deal. I think the sales are strong enough now to indicate that that's what people want. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I think the, the days of having cables external of the headset on, on road bikes is, is limited and is basically going to be the domain of custom builders. All right. Well, I guess that officially cements my status as, I guess, I, I guess now a Luddite or a grumpy old man or, you know, Homer Simpson's dad yeah. yelling at clouds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning, like, Form cycles and pretty much every other custom builder that does internal cabling, uh, you don't have to do it. For Borm, it's it's an optional extra. It remains an optional extra. You know, like I think he'd still encourage and perhaps be very happy to have the the hose external of the external of the headset whenever you're willing to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I think the more people that perhaps refuse to buy a carbon bike that have the hoses hidden with a through the headset and and rather pick a steel or titanium bike with the hoses external uh the more the industry might take notice the, I mean, I guess industry, the, really, the big brands i guess the reality is you know stranger things have happened i mean we have seen a a reversal from press fit bottom brackets back to threaded yeah uh, i think to a large extent so who knows we'll see i guess it just depends on how big the consumer backlash is let's just see how let's just see how big people's service bills are in a few years mm-hmm. uh Speaking of service bills, let's move on to our PSA for this week. Dave, you got you put something in here in the show notes that I, I am curious to hear. 
Because you said uh, your PSA this week is the only good fix for contaminated brake pads, which I have a feeling I know what that is. Yeah, you probably do know what it is. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of solutions to contaminate brake pads. If you look around the internet, you, there's there's brake cleaners, there's uh, specific products that claim to draw oils out. There's uh, uh, crembulet torches that people use to burn the oils off. There's putting them in the oven and sticking out your whole house uh, and upsetting the family. Uh, the list goes on, and I can say I've tried them all, some with varying success. But even the Crembulate torch, there's still going to be, if you have contaminated brake pads, there's still going to be oils trapped within that pad. It kind of soaks it up like a sponge. And even burning the pad to the point that you're at risk of uh, basically delaminating the braking surface away from the, the backing plate, uh, even then, you're still basically going to have that oil creep back to the surface soon enough. And so the answer is you replace your pads and rotors. That is the only way to correctly fix a truly contaminated brake that is, say, squealing or, or just won't be quiet. It's to replace things. And that, oh, wow. I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the replacing the pads thing, but you're, you're advocating to replace the rotors as well, huh? Yep. Yep. I, I don't believe you can get a rotor clean enough that it won't then recontaminate the pads. Interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, that rotor's not like, you know, you look at it and it's, you think it's a, a, a smooth steel surface, but it's it's actually quite textured. And if you put it under a microscope, there's lots of valleys and troughs in that steel. Uh, and yeah, getting the all the oils out of that to have a perfectly clean rotor is is uh, a difficult thing to do. Um, and yeah, the the only guaranteed way to fix contaminated brake is to replace both. Uh, and I'd also recommend ensuring that before you do that, that you don't have like leaky pistons causing said contaminated brake because then that's just wasting even more money. But yeah, so that's that unfortunately is the PSA is if you've got oil on your brake, whether it's from, you know, cleaning it wrongly or, uh, or you know, decreasing your chain wrongly or whether it's you've ridden through an oil patch on the road and it's flicked up and gotten on your rotor, the only guaranteed way to fix it is to replace stuff dave that sounds very expensive yep nobody said disc brake road bikes or oh disc brakes are cheap all right well i'm gonna go ahead and head on to ebay and look for my externally routed rim brake road bike here here i go <laughs> <laughs> this episode is just like the entire episode has just been like don't ride don't ride tubeless don't ride disc brakes <laughs> and don't hide your cables it's just yeah oh, this, this entire episode is buy a road bike from 2010 <laughs> <laughs> oh my well we're getting pretty long here let's go ahead and just finish up with the rest of our little news bits for the week all right in other wheel news kdex uh well i mean i know kdex won't particularly like this but i guess it's safe to say they are sort of like the the premium wheel and component sub brand of giant uh they've got some new road wheels called the max 40 they're super light they're sub 1250 grams for uh i I think they are hookless, mm -hmm. actually. Yep. Uh, clincher disc brake wheels. Uh, Kadex claims these offer, quote, best in class, unquote, stiffness to weight, but they're still really aero, supposedly, with a 40 mil deep rim. And Kadex Carbon Fiber Super Aero, that's capital S and capital A, Carbon wow. Fiber Spokes. That's very aero. Uh, Kadex also has a couple of new integrated one-piece carbon fiber road cockpits, one specifically designed to be lightweight, the other one to be more aero. 
And they got some new road tires too. So you can check all that out at KDEX Cycling or KDEX-Cycling.com if you're interested in seeing more of that. We actually don't have any of this stuff on hand yet. Uh, and then in more wheel and tire stuff, Victoria's got some new tires for road riders that want something especially durable for year-round riding. Uh, these new tires are called Ride Armor, which gives you, I think, a pretty good idea of what they're meant to do. Built with a nylon casing with an extra layer on the sidewalls. They got another layer at the, uh, at the bead to protect against chafing at the rim. Got bead to bead puncture protection belt and a thicker graphene and silica infused rubber tread cap for longer wear. So, Victoria is only making these in wider sizes primarily, all 700C diameters from 26 to 38 mil. Tubeless compatibility throughout with hookless on everything from 28 mil and up, 60 euros retail. Sounds like those might be pretty decent training tires. And an embargo date of the 29th of Feb. You don't see that very often. How about that, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I will also say that when I made my, so I'm, I'm about to head back over to Asia for combination family and business trip. Uh, and when I made those arrangements, I requested a, uh, a February 28th departure date thinking that I'd be arriving on March 1st. Mm. Oh, oops, forgot, leap year, right. So I'm gonna oh. be getting there just a little bit early, <laughs> but that's okay, that's okay. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Geek Warning. Before we close, a couple of little pieces of news of our own. Uh, pretty big news, I think, because we're hiring. Uh, more specifically, we're hoping to add a tech writer to our team since there's only so much ground the three of us can cover. So if you've ever, ever dreamed of becoming part of what we're doing here at Escape Collective and being at the cutting edge of the bike industry, toiling in front of your computer all day, working long hours for mediocre pay and no benefits, uh, and never actually getting to ride your bike, head over to escapecollective.com careers to learn more and see how to apply. How was that pitch, Dave? Did not sell that very well at all. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. you know, I like to I like to underpromise and overdeliver, right? I mean, oh my, it can't be all roses, right? I mean, it's a job. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good job. <laughs> but seriously, we are looking for somebody. If you think you might be up to snuff, if you think you know your bike stuff, if you can write, you can take pictures, if you can make a good argument, uh, head over to that careers page and figure out how to apply and send that stuff over to me. Um, and then if you prefer to stay on the other side of the screen, maybe even at your workbench, make sure to sign up for Dave's tools and workshop newsletter threaded, which you can always find right on escapecollective.com, but is even better when it gets delivered straight into your inbox. And if your thing is more figuring out how to go just a little bit faster, maybe shave that just wee bit of time from your ride, check out Ronan's performance process podcast. That one's only available in full to our Escape Collective members, so head over to escapecollective.com slash join to sign up for a membership if you want more than just the teaser episodes. And speaking of signing up, I also just want to remind you that we are now fully committed to being a 100% member-funded operation here at Escape Collective, meaning we work for you, not for advertisers, and aside from us constantly battering you to sign up for a membership, you'll never see any annoying any annoying pop-up ads or pitches or affiliate links or whatever. So if you're not a member, what are you waiting for? I mean, you want a personal invitation or something? All right, fine, fine. Here you go. Like Thomas, you. Yeah, you, Thomas. We know you are not a member, so quit freeloading and give us a solid, eh? All right. Thanks very, as always for listening. Very of you. <laughs> All right, well, thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week for another episode of Geek Warning. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>